Good morning. Glad to see you. Luke chapter 11, verse 5, starting there, reading from the contemporary English version. It said, Then Jesus went on to say, Suppose one of you goes to a friend in the middle of the night and says, Let me borrow three loaves of bread. A friend of mine has dropped in and I don't have a thing for him to eat. And suppose your friend answers, don't bother me. The door's bolted, my children and I are in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8 says, he may not get up and give you the bread just because you're his friend, but he will get up and give you as much as you need simply because you are not ashamed to keep on asking. We're going to talk for a few minutes today about the necessity of keeping on asking. Now, In this passage that I just read to you, Jesus had just finished telling the disciples how to pray, hadn't he? See that? And he goes from teaching how to pray right into this story. And I think it's neat when when we take this and we apply it to our everyday lives. And it would, if you were to take this and apply it to your life, it would go something like this. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. You are in bed and you are asleep. Someone starts pounding on your door at 2 o'clock. Wakes you up. Kids start crying. Your dogs start barking. Your wife is kicking you and telling you to get up. Don't you hear that? Go see who's at the door. And you answer the door and there stands the neighbor from a couple of houses down. And you say, what are you doing? And he says, well, the strangest thing happened tonight. I hate to bother you, but he said, I got this buddy that came in from out of town. I didn't know he was coming. He just got there a little while ago and said he showed up, had his bag. And and, uh, I said, man, I'm glad to see you. Are you tired? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, are you hungry? And he said, yeah, I'm really hungry. And I thought, we don't have anything to eat. Plan on going to the store tomorrow. But man, tonight, I mean, we didn't have anything. He said, and I remembered you. I remembered how this afternoon y'all were down there grilling. And I just smelt the steaks and the burgers and all that kind of. And I remember you saying that you had plenty left over and you were going to have to refrigerate it and joking around about how kids were going to eat hot dogs and hamburgers all week. And so I knew you had some food. And so I told him, wait here, and I'm going to go down to my neighbors. And you're like, no. No, man, it's 2 a.m. We got, we got the pantry shut down, fella. And he says, listen, I can't go back home and tell this guy I have nothing to offer. I got to have something in my hand or some kind of an explanation because even though I like you, this friend that's at my house is worth To me, me bothering you. He's a good friend and it's just worth it. So you say, well, trying to think what I would do in your case. I probably would do the same. Come on in. Woke everybody up anyway. You go into the kitchen and you prepare some things and put them on a plate and hand them to him. Have a good night. See you later. Shut the door. Go on back to bed. He goes home. This is Luke eleven five, But it's not just a 
neat little story about how you should treat your neighbors when they knock on your door at 2 a.m. in the morning because they don't have anything to eat. It goes much deeper than that. It's symbolic of the relationship that we have with our Father in heaven in that when we have nothing for others, he always has something for them and he tells us to come and knock on the door no matter the time, day or night. That's what's going on in this passage of scripture. Now, one of the reasons why you gave this individual this food is not just because they asked, but because you could see in their face that they were persistent. It was like, I'm not leaving without something. I can't go back to him and tell him that I've got nothing because I know you got something. It's kind of a brash way of looking at how we approach our father. For we want to humbly and reverently always come to him understanding who we are. God, I know that, you know, there's seven billion of us on this little bitty speck in the middle of all these universes. But but then again, you sent your own son to die for all seven billion. So we must be important to you. But I'm trying to understand my position here. But at the same token, Lord, I really need you to do this. And I'm trying to get your attention. So I'm coming humbly and I'm coming reverently, but I'm not going to quit. Which reminds us of that passage of scripture that says the effectual and fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. That ongoing, urgent prayer is what gets it done. Or in our Arkansas terminology, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. But Jesus knows what I have need of. Why do I need to ask? The squeaky wheel gets the oil. Happens that way at your house. Your kids grew up probably thinking that things were unfair from time to time. If you had one child that was louder than the other. If you had one that made more noise and asked more than the other. Then the one that never said anything probably grew up thinking they didn't do nothing for me. It wasn't that you wouldn't have wasn't that you didn't care to, but you deal with what just continues to be put on you, don't you? Why? Well, in our life, it becomes a source of stress. I need, I need, I need. And so we just, some of us, some of you, not me so much, I'm a little bit more laid back, but there's some of you who cannot just cannot stand for everything to be perfect. You're such a fixer. It's got to be right, and until it is, you just can't rest. And so when people persistently ask you for something, you run around everywhere trying to get it done just so you can have a little peace of mind. Somebody like me, just like, okay, we'll get to that maybe after a while. Knowing that we either will or else you'll get tired and go away. In the story, the fellow at the house saw this was not going to go away. And Jesus is the person being asked. And 
for some reason, he's not upset about the approach that has been made. You know, I've said this before. I won't go into any detail. But when I first went into ministry, it almost drove me crazy. I'm going to tell you all something. I, I struggled so much with initially um, every counseling session when it was over. Man, I had to get that fixed. Every person that lost a job, I had to go find them a job. Every person that was grieving, I had to be at the hospital before, after, and at their house. I mean, I've, I've, literally, I've literally spent the night with people after they lost a loved one. Stayed in, stayed in their house all night long for a couple nights. You say, well, I wouldn't want you to do that. Well, somebody should have told me. Pastor, you just need to go home, man. We got to get some rest. We've been through a hard thing. I got to get this fixed. We got to get you right. And some of you are a whole lot worse about that than I am. Every benevolence request. Man, if the church didn't have the money, then I, I, had, to fi- I, had, to co- I had to do something. Every prayer request, every sickness, every surgery, every tragedy, every need in our church became my responsibility to fix. And I figured out that I could not fix any of it. I just couldn't. No matter how much I tried, no matter how much I cared, I couldn't fix it. And so for the longest I was stressed and I was worried and I fretted. And yet they were still just as much in need after I fretted and worried and stressed. No matter what I did or what I said. And finally, I told God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm going to have to do something else. This is, I'm losing my mind. Lord, I I care about these people. I want this fixed and I, I can't do this. And so finally, God gave me something that I've shared with a lot of people since. It has made my life invariably easier to live God told me do what you can and don't worry about what you can't boy that took off a lot of stress because I figured out I couldn't do a lot he revealed to me that the situations that these people were in I didn't do it so I couldn't fix it You didn't make the decisions. You weren't a part of that circumstance. You didn't do it. You can't fix it. But God, it needs to be fixed. He said, I know that. What am I going to do, Lord? Do what you can and don't worry about what you can't. I've lived that way for several years now, taught it to the staff. Taught it to my family, taught it to people that are in leadership, anybody that'll listen to me, anybody especially going into ministry, I try to speak that into their life, not to say let's not care and bear the burdens of our folks, but I'm going to tell you something, if you try to do ministry the way I used to try to do ministry, you cannot pastor more than one or two people. Church just can't get no bigger because I have a hard time dealing with all my own stuff and I found out I can only handle two or three others besides mine and still keep my mind. That's a word for somebody. One of the things that I have learned, though, 
that has been very beneficial to me is that when it comes under the terms of what I can do, the most important thing I can do is pray. I don't have all the money in the world to fix everybody's financial problems. I don't own a gift of healing. I've seen a lot of people get healed, but it never was me that did it. I don't own any kind of spiritual gifts, although from time to time they all flow. The Lord used me for one reason or another once in a while, but I don't own any of them. So I wasn't able to just say, okay, well, here's you money. Here's you healing. Man, it would have been nice if I could do that. You're saved. You're delivered. Man, it would have been cool. And I would have had a really big church. Thousands of people become, and that dude's got, he just goes like this, and money just. Jesus taught the disciples what before he, before he told the story? He taught them something very important. Remember I told you a minute ago. What did he teach them before he told the story? How to pray. Didn't, he didn't teach them a lot of other useful things. He didn't teach them how to counsel people out of debt. He didn't teach them how to fix their marital problems. Told him how to pray. Why? Because he knew that would be the most effective thing. That would be the first thing that they needed. And so he teaches the disciples to pray. Then he tells them this story. And then they back up and start watching what happens. And all of a sudden, they start seeing what Jesus said happening in action. I mean, it's actually happening in real time. All of a sudden, they start seeing things like this. Here comes somebody that says, hey, Jesus, my mother-in-law is real sick. Would you come and... Hey, Jesus, they don't have no more wine. It's all water. Hey, Jesus, there's a guy over there that's blind, blind, and there's one over there that's lame, and there's one that's deaf over there. And, Lord, your best friend is dead. And, 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 and Lord, there's all kinds of stuff going on. This little daughter, this little daughter's dead. She needs to, she needs to be raised back to life. And Jesus, fix this, heal this, stop this. And it goes on and on and on. And guess what? He did. He did. Read through the stories in Matthew. They bring everybody that talks about. They brought all these people to the house that night. They brought people with all kinds of demons. They brought people that are sick. Said Jesus healed them. I don't see anywhere where the disciples did, but I see where Jesus, Jesus healed them. Later on, Jesus said to the disciples, hey, y'all go out, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, do all the things you've seen me do. Do it in my name. Go out. Hmm? Every year, we see tornadoes and hurricanes and forest fires and mudslides and earthquakes. And thousands of people are misplaced and killed. And every year, we hear stories of violence and abuse and tragedy and accidents that cause all kinds of pain and grief and even the loss of life. And, and we witness people being, being uh, suffering with bad news and losing jobs and loved ones are passing away. 
And every time we think to ourselves, what can I do? I'm just one person. There's another tragedy. There's another, there's a tsunami. There's an earthquake. There's a forest fire. There's somebody down the street, a house burned down. There's somebody just lost a love. Isn't it overwhelming? Is it overwhelming or what? Oh, and it just, the weight, just like a heavy, wet blanket settles down on you. And as soon as you get it up off of you, okay, we got them fed. We got them healed. We got them right. And then something falls apart over there. And if you're not careful, you spend your whole life walking around under this huge load that you were never intended to carry. Pastor, are we supposed to just turn our eyes to all those? No. Somebody takes an offering, you feel led to give, do it. The Holy Spirit tells you, go down the street, take somebody some groceries, do it. I'm telling you that if the Lord tells you to do something above that, then do it. But what can you do? What can you do every time you feel the weight of the world? You can pray. You can just keep on asking. Hmm. The pressure that's on me is not to fix it. The pressure that's on me is to pray. And I want you to understand something about, about this whole principle. Notice Jesus in the scripture never got upset about people asking him. The only time in, uh, uh, that I see reference to this where he got upset was when they didn't. And let me tell you the story. There was a particular situation where that there was this young man that was demon possessed. And the disciples decided to cast out the devil. And the scripture said they couldn't do it. And Jesus happens upon the situation. And he said, why couldn't they? I thought he'd give them, the, well, I don't know, but they wasn't ready that time and they couldn't do it. And so Jesus happens upon the situation. He says, what's going on here? And they said, well, here's this guy and he's demon possessed. The parents said, but, or the people around him, parents, whoever it might have been said, and your disciples prayed for him and they can't get the job done. And Jesus said, well, why didn't you bring him to me first? Only time that I see him being upset about this is when they didn't come to him. Oh, man, I tell you, every week y'all get smarter and smarter. Some of y'all just love to stay ahead of the preacher, don't you? You say, I know where he's going with this. He's telling me that I should pray before I do anything else. Yeah. In fact, I want you to see something. I'll put it up on the screen. It, it, it worked like this. Unbelief and belief. Unbelief was equated to attempting to help without asking Jesus first. And belief was equated to pounding on the door at 2 a.m. That will set you free. For all of those of you laying in bed at 2 in the morning and you don't want to wake up Jesus... Man, I'm hurting, but I sure don't want to, I don't want to call on the Lord. I mean, he's busy. I might have to get up and take a BC powder or else I'm going to have to do something. I, I'm just hurting. I, and Jesus saying, you idiot. Why didn't you bring it to me first? I'm the one that can fix this. I'm the one that could do this while you're out trying to raise money and you're out trying to get folks together and you're on the next newest cause and, and you're trying to create awareness and you got a, you got a sign and all the stuff you're doing. Why didn't you ask me first? It's good stuff. Boy, it's simple, isn't it? No points today, no poems, no nothing. Just straight up lesson Jesus said, 
Why didn't you ask me first? Only time he ever got mad about prayer was when they didn't ask him first. Max Lucado has a book out called Before Amen. I love it. It's called The Power of a Simple Prayer. And he believes that power, that, that prayer changes us, but that it also does have the power to change the circumstance. In fact, he says it can change God's mind. And I'm, I'm going to read this to you. He states, and I quote, God's ultimate will is inflexible, but the implementation of his will is not. He does not change in his character and his purpose, but he does alter his strategy because of the appeals of his children. We do not change his intention, but we can change his actions. After all, he says, we are the ambassadors for Christ, speaking with the authority of the king. For all of those of you who had resolved yourself to saying, well, you know what? He's a sovereign God. He's going to do what he wants. He's known from the beginning of time how things are going to turn out. I can pray if I want, but it's basically just for me. Prayer, basically, all it does is change me so I can accept whatever it was he was going to do. And if you've resolved yourself to that place, hang on a minute. Here I come. Open up the door and let the light in for a second. The scripture says that you can actually get the attention of God. And though you will not change his ultimate purpose, plan, or will, you can cause him to do things different than he was going to do that means when you pray for people that need healing they can get well when you pray for people that are broke he can open doors and find them jobs I'm not just going to settle with that defeatist attitude I'm going to walk through all my life and there's somebody over there that's hurting boy that sure is bad wish there was something somebody could do I really feel a weight over that I think I'm going to give him $5. But never even thinking about, why don't I take their need to the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? See how powerful your prayers are? He listens to us. What we say matters to him. When we pray for somebody, he hears and he responds because we're important to him. This text validates that statement. When we pound on the door, whether it's day or night, he recognizes us as family and he does for others what we ask him to do. He knows we can't do it, but he can. And so because he can, he does. Why? Because we keep asking. Here I am, Lord, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, but my buddy down the street, he needs needs healing he's not feeling very good he needs healing right now wish i could do something for him but i can't do anything but i can do this i can do this and i'm doing it because he's worth it and that's the passage that we're studying today that's what it means what a difference we can make you know i thought about this when i was studying i thought none of us have a seat in the oval office and, and none of us even have a seat, I don't think, at the, at, the, at the city council here in Fayetteville. Maybe somebody does. I don't even think we have anybody in that, in that room. I don't think we have anybody on the board of Washington Regional Medical Center. I, I'm not sure that any of you are on the board of your local school or university. But I do have a seat in the throne room of heaven with Jesus who sits at the strong right side of the father I don't have a seat anywhere else that matters don't care don't need one the one that matters is where I have one I have a seat with Christ 
I have a voice in heaven. I have a father. And I have an advocate. And I have a Holy Spirit's power with me every time I open my mouth to pray. You know what happens when I pray for you? Good things. You say, that sounds arrogant. No, that's just, I'm just talking in faith. I'm just telling you the truth, not because it's me. You know what happens when you pray for me? Good things. Why? Because you're his child just as much as I am. We're all family. See, when we pray our prayers, we're not casually just throwing words up into the air. We're not just speaking to spirits or to Mother Earth or to whomever the gods might be that are flying over at that time. We are talking to the creator of all universes and he's not just a casual acquaintance. He's a personal friend and he's our father. Guess what he hears when we call on his name? No matter what time it is. When those people are crying around us, when they're coming and they're saying, we need help, we need strength, we need money, we need healing, we need this. And we say, you know what? Think I'm going to tell them what the, what the boys did. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus, whom I'm about to talk to on your behalf. Get ready for good things to happen in your life. Okay, hang on a minute. Father, this is my friend. This is somebody that needs you. This is somebody that's working hard. They're trying. They're living for you. This is somebody that's struggling. They got things going on in their life. They got an enemy trying to attack them. He's trying to attack their health. He's trying to attack their finances. He's trying to attack their mind. I bind the enemy in Jesus' name. And you hear me, Father, because I'm your child. And I beg you right now on his behalf and on mine. Because you know me. Because of the blood that's on me. Now cover this thing shakes heaven. All of you folk that just thought, oh, all I got is now I lay me down to sleep. God bless mama and daddy. God is great and God is good. Let us thank him for our food. That's it. That's all we got. No, I got more. I've got a personal lifeline to the father. And he says, hang on a minute. Darren's talking to me right now. He says they need such and such down there in Fayetteville. Hang on a second. He said, I can't do that. Well, are you one of his? Are you one of his children? If so, then you can do that. How do I access all of the power and the authority of heaven? The scripture says by keeping on asking. What am I going to do? I'm going to keep knocking on that door. I'm going to keep on asking. I'm going to knock and I'm going to believe. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray in faith because what I say matters. Why is it so important that we pray? Because it matters. You say, Pastor, we pray for our government, and I don't think it does any good. It's got to be doing good. If you're praying prayers, it's doing good. You may not be able to see it, but think what things would be like if you weren't. Praying for our nation. Pray for your boss. Pray for your hurting friend, your lost son or your lost daughter, that little sick child in the hospital, the persecuted church, even the Iranian nuclear deal. You can pray about that from here to there. God hears you and he's listening. 
God, I don't think, I don't think Iran should have those nukes. You know what they're going to do to Israel. And God says, I know I'm with you. I'm in this thing. Let's keep talking. You don't just know him casually, church. When you pray, pray and believe, pray in faith and intercede and cry out to God against injustice and poverty and the attacks of the enemy because God is hearing and he will answer. We just got to keep asking. We just got to keep pounding on the door of someone who can change things. He can straighten this out in your life. He can speak peace to the storm you're in. He can pronounce healing to the, to the sick and he can bring light into darkness and he can do anything that you persuade him to do if you'll just keep on asking. It just has to be according to his will, way, and word. Pray outside of that, it won't do you much good. But when you pray according to his will, his way, his word... It's powerful, folks. Let, let's stop ranting and raving and, and complaining and whining. Instead, let's start praying. Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for our schools and our church and pray for each other. We're making a difference, I'm telling you. We're changing the world a prayer at a time. Keep on asking. Keep praying. This Tuesday, the Supreme Court is going to hear oral arguments as they try to determine marriage as it should be defined. We live in an enlightened society. And we're far smarter than anyone that has ever lived on this planet in all of these years, apparently. Because we have gotten to the place now where we really don't need God to tell us what to do. His book is just a bunch of suggestions that are politically incorrect. He says that marriage should be between a man and a woman. Come on now, God. How outdated can you be? Marriage should be between a man and his friend, another man or a child or a horse or a rock. Some folk probably going to get mad right now because I'm not very politically correct. I'm scripturally correct, but not politically correct. There is a militant group that is rising up right now. God forgive me for saying it if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's the truth. They're rising up and they have an agenda. And they are ISIS without swords in the United States. Coming against every little town and city and state they could come against trying to promote their homosexual agenda upon people that say we just can't we just can't get with you on that we can't it doesn't matter what we think or how we feel we have a god that we have to answer to he says that this is sin our supreme court's going to decide that i don't think god's going to get invited we'll need to hear what god has to say Pastor, sounds like you're angry at homosexuals. No, I'm not. But let me tell you what sin is. Let me, let me just tell you why, what I'm angry about. I'm angry about sin. It's not about homosexuality. I'll tell you, I'll go a lot further than that. You read everybody in the room ready to get mad at me? I'll tell you the truth. Sin is not just homosexuality. Any type of sexual act that takes place outside the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman, consenting adults, is sin. So that can be 
a man or a woman. If they're not married, it's sin. I didn't write that. I didn't come up with that. Well, pastor, they don't have a choice. I'm going to tell you something, guys. I've been around a while. Every time I found myself in a sexual situation, I always had a choice. Sometimes I didn't make the right one. When I wasn't living for the Lord, I didn't always make the right choice. I really didn't care what God thought. But something about it was I always knew. Jerry, I always knew. Always knew. There's a lot of heterosexual people in this room that are not having sexual relations with anyone because they're choosing not to because they're not married. Or maybe they are. And they're still choosing not to. Somebody in the relationship is choosing not to. All of you men, we're going to have a counseling session right after church. It's always choice. Every sin that I decide to commit, I have to choose to either do it or not to do it. I have to choose to do it if I decide to commit to do it. I have to choose to. It don't matter. So we're not talking about homosexuality or heterosexuality. We're not talking about any of that. We're talking about a rebellious attitude that comes against what's true, what comes against what God says is right, what God says is pure. And anything that comes against that is a sin. And I don't care what you want to call it or what movement you want it to be attached to or how you want it. I don't care. It's still what it is. So this is not an LGBT thing. It's a sin thing. And our country is being plagued by people who are forcibly, militantly taking this on as a challenge in the face of God and against his word to try to go against. They hate Christians. They hate the church. They always turn it around that we're impolitically correct and that we don't love them, that we're judging them. It's not that at all. We love them. That's why we tell them the truth. We're not condoning that, but we're not condemning that. We're simply saying to them, we were sinners too till we got saved. We tell everybody that lives in sin. It's sin regardless of whether it's about sexual things or if it's about using things they shouldn't use or saying things they shouldn't say. We don't ever tell people out of hatred. We always tell them out of love. We're going to love them even if they keep sinning. We got a lot of fun. Somebody said to me in our church not too long ago, they said, you let people serve in your church that, 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 that aren't members or, or you let people serve in your church. And if you, if you don't know that, you know, everything about their life, maybe they're doing, doing things in their life they shouldn't be doing. I'm like, well, we're not going to put them in leadership. But I, man, I'll let anybody stand at the door and smile and greet. Why? Why would you do that, pastor? I'm wanting everybody to come on in, hear what we got to say. Come on in. If you can stand out there with a good attitude and smile on your face, you'd be living in sin. I'll let you stand out and hold the door, man, out of bullet. Come on in. I want you to hear what we got to say because we love you. We want you to know the truth. Supreme Court's going to decide this Tuesday. People are being called to pray all over the United States. You know, the sad thing about it is we, we have people in this room that have, been so, that have been so conditioned. Some people in this room are really struggling with what I'm saying right now. You've been so preconditioned by what you've been taught outside of the church, in school settings, in different places, that you should be accepting. Now you're being torn because you've been brainwashed to believe that God was just the guy that we worship on Sunday, but we don't really got to do what he says. We got to do what the school says. 
So you're struggling with what I'm telling you right now. Well, God is just, you know, I mean, that's just out of date. I mean, it's just God just out of date. Well, I wonder what people were saying a thousand years ago. They're like, man, them dummies 5,000 years ago, they didn't, even, they didn't even have the will. Here we are, man. We got the will. We surely smarter than everybody else. We come along. We got computers. We're smarter than everybody else. If God tarries his coming another 50, 60 years, there's no telling people be flying around in their cars talking about us, how stupid we were. Those dumb people were driving cars on the road with gasoline. They weren't even using electricity. They were killing the planet. Look how stupid those people are. Yet right now, we think we're the smartest it's ever been. God's word is God's word. What are we going to do about it? I've not been given a voice. Nobody's asked me to show up to the Supreme Court and tell them what I think. Nobody's asking me. Nobody's invited me to the to the to 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 be with uh, Mr. Kerry down there when we're trying to decide what we're going to do about nu- the, the nuclear arms deal with Iran. Nobody's asked me to be there. Nobody's invited me down to school board meeting. Nobody's had me come down to the Fayetteville Library to discuss which books we're going to put on the shelves. Nobody's been asking me. Why aren't they asking me? Why aren't they asking you? Ain't nobody, ain't nobody asking me to come down there, but I got a voice. And I'm praying. Come Tuesday, I'm going to be praying. I'm praying now, but I'm going to be praying Tuesday. I'm going to be praying for God's will to be done and for his hand to be upon those people in that room that know the truth, that will stand up for the truth and stand for what they know is right, even though it's not correct. And it might even lose them their seat and lose them their position. I'm still going to pray for God to give them the courage to do the right thing. And I'm going to pray. And you know what? It's going to matter. My voice is going to matter. Not because I'm angry, not because I'm not because I'm trying to be unkind to someone, not because I'm trying to cause trouble. But my voice is going to matter because I'm a child of God. He knows me by name. He died for me. He loves me and he loves them. And he wants what's best for them and best for me. And he knows that his word is what that is. So when I pray according to that word, he's going to be like, yeah, I'm all in this with you, D. I'm all in this with you. Keep on asking. Keep on praying. Man, I hope you get that right now. Your prayers matter. God hears you. And he cares. Some of you are struggling right now. There's some things that are so such heavy burdens on your heart. You walked into this room carrying such heavy loads, either for your own sake or for family members or people that you know and love. You walked into this room. Your heart was just breaking through the worship. You're thinking about predicament somebody's in. You're thinking about what they're facing tomorrow. And you're just like, oh, God, I got to do something. I got to do something. God says, yes, you do. Well, what is it, God? What can I do? What can I do? And God says, it's time for you to pray. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to pray. I want you, if you would, to bow your head, close your eyes. Can I ask, I'm not fishing for a compliment. I don't want one or need one, but I just want to know if it's effective. Can I ask you if if this message today has encouraged you that your prayers count? Would you raise your hand? I would like to see that this was communicated clearly, that you understand that when you pray, it matters. Raise them up there. You believe that? You think your prayers matter? Do you think it now? You knew it before, but do you still think it? You think your prayers matter? Raise your hand up there. Look at that. God, we are people of faith. We believe that you hear our prayers. We believe that you're concerned about what concerns us. Lord, we are praying together. We're standing together. We are unified together and believing upon your word for good things. God, we do believe that we can change the circumstance 
with a prayer. We do believe that we can pray a prayer of healing, guidance, and direction for another person. And that you will hear that and that you will answer. We believe, God, that we can lay hands on people through your name and your power and they can actually be raised from the dead. God, we believe because you've boosted our faith over and over by showing us the power in our prayers and their effectiveness. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. And now I want you to sit there for a minute. Some of you got some prayers you need to pray. The light has come, has been turned on in your head on some things. You've been released from some stress, yet still you know there's people you need to pray for. God has spoken to your heart this morning concerning this whole prayer issue. If that's you, I want you, to, if you need to pray, get up right now. And just come and find yourself a place and begin to kneel around and pray. Come on, there, you know, some of you know, and there's prayers that you're needing to pray. There's, there's things you're needing to bring to the Lord. The Lord has spoken to you. He has said some things, and now you need to pray. There are things that are heavy on your heart. God's convicted you today about some things. There's things that need to be talked about. Come on. Come on, just come on down and pray. A few minutes ago, Pastor Brian gave an altar call for people who didn't know Jesus as their Savior. I want him to know that he didn't miss that. We can't make people do what the Holy Spirit is beckoning them to do. But I would say this to the young lady who sat through that altar call and said, I made it, but God, if you make a mask again, I'll come. Now he's asking. You thought you made it through, young lady. You thought you'd gotten by, but you said, God, if you'll have a mask again, I'm going to come the second time. I'll know then, Lord, it's you. And I'm talking to you. Who are you, young lady? I want you to stand to your feet. I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke that to my heart. I want you to stand to your feet. And I'm going to let you come down and have somebody pray with you. But I don't want you to leave today the way that you came. Oh, I'm telling you, you're so uncomfortable right now. You're sitting there trembling. How you wish that this would just end and it would go away and you could leave. But the Holy Spirit loves you too much to let that happen. This is the second time he has called you out. I'm specifically talking to a young lady right now who God is beckoning. He is speaking to. He's pleading with her. And he's saying, this is it. Come to me. Come to me. I, I want to change your life. I want to speak into your heart. I want to make things better for you. So this is your opportunity. And you told God that. You told him. You said, you said if, 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 they, if they do it again, I'll go. And now he's doing it. He's calling you. I don't know who you are, but, the, but I feel like it's a young lady. Amen. Will some of you ladies come and pray? Come pray with this lady here today. Man, I just feel like there's a lot of other things in this room to be prayed for. I, I want to ask our, our prayer team if they would come and, and stand up here and... Just to be in, prepare, in preparation, may, 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 no, 
may not anybody come this this way, but if they do, I want us to be here and be ready. If you're on the prayer team, would you come and be standing here waiting to pray with these folks? If you would like prayer with them, I'm saying you want to come to have somebody pray with you, then for any whatever that need might be, then I want you to approach these individuals and they're going to pray with you if you have a need. But I'm opening up this altar for many other reasons. I'm opening up. You may not want to come to one of these. You may just want to kneel somewhere. But we're needing to turn this place into a place of prayer. I do know that there are people in this room that are carrying heavy loads that want to pray. You're needing to pray. And you can do that where you're at. You can sit. You can stand. Uh, you can kneel right where you are. But I want you to know these altars are open for whatever need that you might have. I want you to access that right now and understand that there is power in your prayers and that God is hearing you and that God is going to meet you. So let's turn it into a place of prayer. Brother Neil is going to lead us. Just just play and sing for us here. And I want you just to come, come and pray and come and let the Holy Spirit do a work in your life.